Is anyone else in shock of how fast this year is flying by? I know I am. I definitely am. I cannot believe that it is, you know, mid-May right now. And we're actually going to be wrapping up season two of this podcast at the end of the month. And that just blows my mind too, because I feel like yesterday we just launched, but we've done so many amazing conversations that you should go back and check out if you have not already done so. But for right now, I am jumping in with the incredible Andrew Ryder. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. Hey there, entrepreneur, and welcome to today's show. I'm joined by Andrew Ryder, who helps coaches and course businesses create authentic authentic being the key word there, folks, content to sell their programs without relying on shady tactics and struggling with writer's block. So he helps clients with reimagining the content creation, which we're going to talk about. And then side note, folks, graduated from Columbia with a triple major in chemical engineering, applied physics and chemistry, all things I will never be good at. So Andrew, thank you for joining (laughs) us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Michelle. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited for this conversation because I know you and I are quite, quite aligned on a lot of these things, but before we jump in, you know, let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey. I know you say, you know, entrepreneurship ruined your life, which is really awesome. Um, so tell us about your journey. Yeah. I, I like to say that entrepreneurship ruined my life because, well, because it did, but it's also, it really wakes people up because entrepreneurship is supposed to be something that especially for coaches, of course, creators, a lot of solo entrepreneurs are getting into this space because they see this pinnacle of success. They see the freedom and the abundance and the the money and the fame that they can achieve by starting a business, but they don't realize that success and happiness are not the same thing. And oftentimes by pursuing that definition of success, that maybe someone else's definition of success you're sacrificing those things that really make you happy. And so I was the I was the perfect example of this. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad back in 2016. It was my first experience in the entrepreneurial space and I just thought, wow, how did I not know this existed? How did I not know that this was something that you could do with your life? I got so excited at just the idea of starting a business of earning freedom, of helping people solve a problem that I myself had overcome. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to start a business. And from there, I got into all of the Facebook online business, make money online type of programs where really it's the opposite of of what I thought I was going to be doing. You're not really helping anyone. You're just trying to sell them something. You are using a whole bunch of spammy tactics and tricks to try to get people to buy from you. And most of the time, those types of programs don't actually work. They may have worked at one time for one person for a very short, very specific 
case and they film it all and put it into a nice presentation. And it's just that whole world was so toxic to me. And I got caught up in the hustling and the struggling and talking about how hard you work on social media. And I lost track of the things that really mattered in my life. I lost track of my health, my relationships with family and friends. You know, I was sacrificing everything because I thought that if I just worked harder, you know, coaches will tell you, you have to really want it. You have to be willing to put in the hours. You have to be willing to do the hard work to get there. And there's some truth in that, but it's misleading. There's so much pressure to struggle and hustle and sacrifice everything to build this business. And that's why I say that I wasn't able to achieve my definition of success by sacrificing those things to, to build, to build a business. You know, a lot of people are, are interested in building a business that allows them to leave their, their full-time job and, and have some free time, but they end up building businesses. If they're lucky enough to create something that's successful, they build a business that then congratulations, you graduated from a 40 hour work week to an 80 hour work week. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people are earning less money in that entrepreneurial endeavor, not to say that money is the pinnacle of success, but you're working more, you're working harder, pursuing that dream of freedom, but you're never getting closer to actually saving some time. And, and all along the way, you're training yourself to be anxious, to be hustling, to never be able to spend time relaxing, watching TV with your family or doing things that you love to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's such a, such a great point. That's why you're on here because I just, I feel like there are so many people that need to hear this. Um, and I'm not saying again, like we're not black and white here where all cases are this or all cases are that, but there are, I see it as a coach. You and I have talked about this so many times people come in and they, and they hear the, the things like make a million dollars in two weeks or, you know, all of these things. And it negates, it negates the longevity that is needed to get to that point. So what do you think is your definition of success today versus kind of then? Yeah. So back then my definition of success was starting a business that required very minimal. It was very much four hour work week esque in that it required a couple of hours a week to manage it. Customers coming on autopilot, making lots of money. I could retire to Tahiti or somewhere nice, have a Mai Tai, sit on the beach. Yeah. That was the dream, right? And uh, it's funny because that lifestyle would drive me absolutely crazy. You know, I, I got married last summer and my wife and I went to Hawaii for a couple of weeks. It was probably the longest vacation we've ever taken with, with no work, no, no email, no nothing. And by the end of those two weeks, I was just itching, like ready to get back. And I was hot and sweaty, you know, and (laughs) all of the relaxation. I was like, okay, I've had enough relaxation. It's time to get back to work and build something, do something. And uh, so retiring, uh, you know, in my twenties would not be a suitable lifestyle for me. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, So, so my definition of success now is really sort of have three, three priorities. My first priority is my own mental and physical health, and it's in investing in myself. You know, I really think of everything I do as an investment. So first, investing in myself, because everything else in my life comes out of a place of having that strength and focus 
uh, ability to think critically, everything that I do, whether it's my relationship with my wife, whether it's my business, whether it's working with clients, it all stems out of being the healthiest, most confident, uh, strongest person that I can be. So that's the top priority for me. Second priority, relationship with my wife and with my family. Um, that is, you know, those relationships are really what make me the happiest, healthiest person. You know, I can't fully show up to those relationships if I'm tired or if I'm sick or if I'm not sleeping well or eating poorly or not exercising, all those things, right? Starts with my help, health, and then it leads into my relationships. And then my third priority, which is obviously still very important, is the relationships that I'm building with my audience, with my customers, and the really investing into them and to their character to help them to create better content so they can grow their businesses and really share that message that's on their heart to share. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, you and I are very much aligned because I think I'm right. I'm right there with you with what you just said in, in regards to priorities. Um, very much in align myself then family and relationships personally, and then, then clients. So what do you say to the people who say like, well, just grind for two years and then, and then you're good. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've done that. So I could say that it's sort of a misconception. I don't know. Maybe there are folks who can create something extremely successful and, make it, you know, quote unquote, make it in those two years. For me, I, I really had the wrong priorities in, and I was also trying to do things quickly. And when you try to do things fast, you're usually sacrificing quality or yeah. you're taking some kind of shortcut. So I, I can't speak for other people, you know, maybe you'd be lucky enough to build something that's great, but I think you'll find that the things that are worth doing are worth doing consistently over the long term. And you're you're likely not going to create an entire lifetime's worth of content in the next two years so that you can just drip it out over the course right. of weeks and months forever. You're likely not going to invest in all the relationships with with other people in your industry. You're not going to do all of the interviews you want to do. You're not going to write all the books that you want to write. So I think it's a mindset shift from making money as your definition of success to creating an impact or to, to helping people. And it's not, you know, it's really not to say that making money is bad or that you no, shouldn't be no. trying to make money. You absolutely, you know, your top priority as a business is to make, make money because right. if you don't make money, you can't help people, but shifting that into why are you running this business? Are you just doing it to make money or are you doing it so you can actually help people solve a problem? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I'm with you. It's not, we're not money bashing here folks, because again, like if you are stressed out over money, that's going to kill your first priority to, <laughs> particularly too, right. That can really impact your mental and physical health and, and all sorts of things in your relationships too. So, but it's not, it's not for everybody, the end all be all. And I think sometimes people are shocked at that. Like, oh, money isn't the first thing. Like it's like an automatic thing that we're supposed to be going toward. And, you know, I think when you're playing the long game, like it sounds like you are, it's, it's more about your quality of life and your evolving definition of what a successful life looks like. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So back to my priorities, I need to have 
my health and my relationships taken care of so that I can sit and focus and do good work in my business. If I don't have those other things taken care of, you know, yeah, I, I could grind it out. And I've, I've done that for months at a time. Two years is a really long time. You know, it, it goes by fast, but mm -hmm. to be absolutely miserable every day, just grinding it out through sheer willpower is you're not going to be able to do that for two years. And even if you do, you're going to find that the person you become is completely unrecognizable to you. Yeah. And it's taken me, and I'm still not done, but it's taken me two years. So I've spent probably four years, three to four years trying to just grind and hustle and, and do exactly that just to make it and be successful and have everything perfect for the rest of my life. And I spent the last two years trying to undo all of that because it was, like I said, entrepreneurship ruined my life. That mindset completely ruined everything that I, I actually valued in my life. And it's still, you know, I'm still working on it. It's taken me two yeah. years to get to the point where I'm at now. And, and I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at now, but I still get that anxiety on, evenings here and there where I haven't done enough work or I can't relax because I'm not producing as much content right. as someone else. You know, there's, there's that constant feeling that just haunts you all the time that you're not working hard enough. It takes a long time to get rid of those habits. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Cause it all boils down to that sentiment of, am I enough? Right. Like you just kind of, you just kind of noted at it. Like, am I hustling enough? Am I working hard enough? Am I making enough money? Am I, am I enough period? And I think it takes us as our own kind of captains of the ship to say, you know, no, I'm enough right now. I'm enough before I even make the money. I'm enough before I put out the content, you know, I'm enough so that you're not using it to kind of fill the void, but that you're, you know, you're full. So then you can provide to your point, right? That's absolutely right. And I love the way that you put that, you know, you, all of these things we do to work harder, to earn more is to sort of fill that gap of, making myself good enough to according to someone else's standards online, but you're never going to be able to fill that hole if you're going by someone else's expectations. Yes. And, and often it's really, you need to recognize that you already are enough. Um, I, I really love this book, The Alchemist. I don't yeah, know if you've read it. It's I have, you know, yeah. super, um, super popular because of the way the story speaks to that drive inside all of us, especially as entrepreneurs to go out and to learn these things and achieve these things. But if you take a step back and look at the whole plot of the alchemist, this, this boy goes on this journey to, to find treasure, right? And along the way, he, he meets someone, he falls in love, he spends something like seven years working and doing all of these different things, building up to this journey where he can finally become the person who's, who's worthy of finding, you know, finishing this journey and finding the treasure. And what he finds after going through everything that he goes through, he, he has this maturing process where he comes to the point where he realizes that everything that he already wanted, he already had access to. The treasure was located at the starting point. Yeah. And I think that's the same realization that we're discussing here, that no amount of going and working and hustling yourself into this place of, of abundance is, is going to really make you feel that sense of satisfaction or that sense of completion in your life. The only way you can feel that is through 
self-reflection and through designing a life that you're happy now on that journey to success. Yeah. I like the fact that you said self-reflection because when we're hustling, we're not necessarily anchored in a place of self-reflection and, you know, where it becomes a habit. I think that's, that's the thing that I, I worry about sometimes when I work with entrepreneurs is that there's a season for hustle sometimes, right? A launch of a new product or something like that. There is a season for that, but when it becomes your norm, then you've ingrained a whole new set of habits and that's a little different. Now you're living the lifestyle of hustle and grind versus having a conscious choice of that being a season that you know is there with a start and, a, and an end and that you're actually conscious enough to say, this is what I'm learning from all this. And oh my goodness, I'm okay without it. And you know, all of the questions, the alchemist is fantastic, by the way, everybody should read that book. Yeah. 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 It's such an awesome book. And, uh, you know, I've always heard the saying that you should read what you love until you love to read. Yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of how you get into the realm of reading and alchemist would be a great place to start because it's a combination of a, uh, you know, it's a fictional story with very real, um, impactful takeaways for your life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's simple and it's simple. It's not, it's not a heavy read. It's, (laughs) you know, like, but it's, it's heavy in its impact, but not heavy in its like, you know, depth of reading knowledge and stuff like that. Right. Um, Right. I have a friend who reads it actually. My friend, Christine reads it every January. Um, She's read it for years and years and years, um, which I may be following suit with her on that. So when you have people that are coming to you and they have kind of gone through this hustle grind, they've gone through the, like, just build the funnel and it'll all magically happen. You know, what do you do to kind of slow them down and to, to acknowledge the fact that this is a marathon, not a sprint and help them? So one of the things that really helped me was thinking about this from a perspective of running. Uh, I, I ran in college, uh, middle distance. And so a lot of the, a lot of the running analogies and things sort of intuitively make sense to me, but there's this race that we used to run. It's called Bloomsday. It is a really popular about seven and a half mile run. And people come from all over the world to run this race. And so there's probably 50,000 people that run it. And it goes through, um, sort of through town and around through some parks and things. And anyways, Um, there's people of all different levels that run this race. And so the, the people that are in the front will be the fastest runners and they'll go out and they'll just sprint. And if you're not careful, you can get caught up in that momentum where everyone at the front is just sprinting and you won't realize that the person who's leading that sprint is actually an Olympic athlete or is a high tier, high caliber runner who's going to run you know, four minute miles or four minute, 10 second miles for the entire race. And the first couple of miles of the run of the run are downhill. So it's really easy to, you're, you're full of energy. There's adrenaline, the race, you know, the gun goes off and you start running and you're going downhill and it's really easy to go out too fast. But then what happens when you go out too fast is in the last couple of miles, the, um, the last maybe two miles, you there's a really grueling steep hill. And then, you know, maybe the last mile, mile and a half is kind of a soft downhill coasting back down into the city. And if you go out too fast, that hill in mile five will kill you. 
Yeah. You will have expended too much energy. You won't be able to get over that hill. And so then once you get to the top of the hill, you will be dragging yourself down to the finish line. You could be getting passed up by weekend warriors and by people who ran a smarter race than you. And you'll be thinking, man, I'm, I'm way faster than this. I can beat all of these people. And in maybe in another race, you could, if you had been smarter about your run, but it's just a completely miserable experience. <laughs> and so I, I ran this race twice. And the, f- the first time I ran it, I ran a smart race. I held back a little bit. I stuck to my pace, which pace in the running world is the idea of in that type of race, you know, what are your mile splits going to be? How fast do you want to run the first mile, the second mile? What's your average mile that you want to run? And you want to know that ahead of time so that when you go through the mile markers, you know, typically they'll have a timer that says, okay, you ran a seven minute mile, or you ran a 630, or you ran a 445, and you're going to be totally screwed for the rest of the race because you went way too (laughs) Too fast. fast. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, knowing what pace you want to run at and differentiating that pace from the Olympic runners pace and differentiating it from the walkers pace, but knowing what your pace is and being willing to stick to that plan, regardless of what chaos is going on around you and how fast people are sprinting out. And, and so I think you can start to see that there's parallels at all, all different places here to the way we run our businesses, right? We see people who are going out and sprinting. We see people who have whole media production companies so that they can be posting on every different social media platform seven times a day. And they have these fancy studios and they're recording five different podcasts and they just have all of these things they're doing. They're launching multiple products and all of this stuff. And we feel compelled to keep up with them but we don't recognize that that's not our pace with, with where you're at individually. You need to be really realistic. And again, this goes back to the idea of Mm self-reflection. Where are you, what can you realistically accomplish? There's this, this stigma that you have to be pushing yourself. You have to be working just a little bit harder than you think you can go because you need to push yourself, but that's wrong. It's right. If you're running a hundred meters, but that's only hundred meters is maybe one day you can push yourself in one day, you know, on Saturday, I did like an eight hour day and I wrote a combination of writing and assembling a book that I'm working on. And I did like 20,000 words in one Saturday, you know, that's a hundred meter sprint. Right. But then I took, you know, I didn't do anything on Sunday, had a pretty light um, first half of the week here. So I'm, you know, I'm still, I'm not exceeding my overall pace. I'm not going and grinding and hustling for two years straight, right? I'm not getting to that point where I feel like I need to take a break from my business or I need to cut back on my commitments or I need to you know, completely get away on a, on a vacation. So that idea of pace to me is, is really important. And I think it's sort of contrarian to the way that a lot of people think about what level of work they need to be doing on a daily basis. I think about holding back a little bit rather than pushing a little bit harder than I feel comfortable to. And the the other thing that I'll add on this story of, of Bloomsday here is that uh, one of my friends, uh, one of my teammates, actually, he started out one year. He, so he knew that the front page of the local newspaper always had a picture of the front of the pack 
at the beginning of the race. And so what he did is he sprinted out with the Olympians and the, the high caliber runners. He, I mean, he was, he's a very fast runner himself, but he knew that he was going to go out at, at an all out sprint to get to the front of the pack. So he could have his picture in the newspaper along with, you know, yeah. five or 10 or 50 other people. Um, so you have to be careful because people's goals are not the same as yours. You know, his goal right. was not to run the entire seven and a half mile race as competitively as he could. Right. His goal was to run the first hundred yards or 200 yards as fast as he could. So if you're not careful, you'll get sucked into other people's goals. And then, you know, you'll, you'll run that first 200 meters way too fast. And then you'll realize that wasn't my goal at all. I wanted to, I wanted to run, uh, you know, over the long term. I wanted to create a successful business that I can work on for years, for decades, even. So it's it's back to that self reflection. What do you actually want to build? What are you good at? And how can you combine what you want to build, how you want to help people, with your strengths to build a business that you can work on every day for the next decade? Yeah, yeah. It's about the staying power of it, right? Like I think you know, I, I've had so many clients that I've had to like, kind of give permission. I'm sure you have too, where I have to be like, no, you don't have to do that. And they're like, and they, there's like a shock to them. Like, what do you mean? I don't have to do that. And then there's a fear that comes after that. Like, but what if I don't do that? You know, well, what, what if you don't do that, but maybe something better will happen if you, if you don't, you know, maybe you'll feel better to your earlier point. Maybe you'll be more in alignment with your, with your own personal priorities but again, I think if, if you're running too fast, like if you come out sprinting and I, I love that entire way that you're positioning that, by the way, with the, with the race, um, if you don't even know what your goals are before the gun goes off, that's a whole other problem. Correct. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know what your goals are, if you don't know what pace you're going to run at, you'll end up inadvertently running at someone else's pace Yeah. and you'll end up building something that like the example we used earlier, if, you know, so many people get into this business to try to create freedom or lifestyle or uh, impact in their industry, yeah. and they end up spending more time, completely stressed out all the time, so much anxiety, they're working all the time, and they're probably making less money than they were in their, in their uh, nine to five job. And so the, you just have to be really careful that you don't build something that you actually hate. <laughs> and, and the other thing I'll add there too, is that if you're doing things that you don't like, you're doing things that you feel like you have to do, but they're not your strong suit. There's going to be a lot of friction there. Yes. And I know that if you're, if your goal is to get more Twitter followers, pursuing and, and persevering through friction is a great way to do that. And talking about how hard you work is a great way to do that. But the friction wears on you over time. Yeah. And what you find, especially for coaches, course creators, or solo entrepreneurs, that people aren't buying your products because your products are amazing. They're buying, their, they're buying your products because they want to be more like you. Yeah. They want to achieve the success that you've achieved. They want to solve the problems that you've learned how to solve and become the type of person that, that you are. They're using you as that role model. And it's easy to hide some of these things on social media. You know, I've hired coaches before who I thought had it all figured out. Yeah. 
only to realize that as soon as I hired them, they've got everything duct taped together and they're in even worse shape than I am mentally. They just are able to put that front out there and, and it's a really, really tough industry because of all of these things that we think we need to do. So if you're able to, if you're able to step back from that and, and build a business in a way that's minimizes the amount of friction that you have to go through. It's built to your strengths. It's built to the things that you enjoy doing. I, I do very few things in my business that I don't enjoy doing. So for example, I really don't enjoy any sort of cold outreach, direct outreach. So, you know, I hired a company interview connections who reached out to you and that's how we got connected to do this podcast. Right. Yeah. I love having these conversations. I hate doing the emails and the outreach and I'm managing all of that. So I look for opportunities where I can just focus on the things that are in, you know, that are strengths for me, but also that I enjoy doing them because if I don't enjoy doing it, and again, we're, we're taking a long-term perspective here. It's not about getting rich overnight. It's about creating a long-term, you know, a business that's successful over the long-term. I could do things that I don't like doing for a week. I can maybe do it for a month, but I'm not going to be consistent with it. And over the long term, it's just not going to work out. I need to be focused on the most impactful things that I can do that I enjoy doing. And it's fun for me because that authenticity and, and enthusiasm and all of the energy that you bring to those things that you really enjoy doing, it reflects out into your content, into your programs, into everything that you do. And that's really, you know, the, the, conviction that you have, the energy that you have is one of the most powerful sales mechanisms that you can use. You know, there's all these tactics and all these things and copywriting that you can do to, to make sales. But a lot of times just being a passionate leader who's willing to just dive in and cut through all the complexity and all the nonsense and lead your audience to their goals. That's going to be enough to make the sales in a much more authentic and less sleazy, less salesy way. And it's just, it's, it's authentic to you, to your brand and to what your customers are really looking for, because at the end of the day, they're following you, right? We use that word follower, but we never flip it around and realize that if they're following us, that makes me, or that makes you their leader. Yeah. There's, there's a responsibility that comes with it. Right. And, and to your earlier point, if you're doing things like that friction that you spoke about, um, and I like that you pointed out how people are duct taped together on the back end, right. If you're doing a whole bunch of things that are, you know, not in alignment or causing friction with you, there's only, there's only so long you can keep that up and also living almost like a duplicitous life with that too. Right. I mean, it's, it's, that's exhausting, right. I mean, I have a coach who has told me, numerous times, every time I try to do something that she's like, that is no way in alignment with you, Michelle, where did you get that idea? You know, she always says, well, do you want to lead by example? You know, do you want to lead by example of stepping into who you actually are and living your values? You know, which is like, I don't, I don't post a lot of pictures of my children online. You know, I see a lot of people, people do, and that's their choice, but just little things like that, where it's purposeful, it's purposeful because it's in alignment with me because I'm the person I need to go to bed with every night, right? Like not the social version, social media version of me who might be different, right? The me, you know? So I think, I think what you're saying 
is that, you know, be the same person, be the same person across all the things and honor that authenticity, correct? Yeah. So a couple of things there, you know, I think it's really important to note that you have someone who you can share your ideas with, bounce your ideas off of, and they know you well enough to say, you probably shouldn't be doing that. You know, you're, because we, we're so good at deceiving ourselves. Yes, we are. Yeah. Good at just, I need to do this. And then I need to do that. And just diving back into, even when you know, you're, you know, there's this, um, expert in self-deception, Bob Trivers, and he, he wrote the book literally about self-deception. And at the end of the book, he writes, knowing all this, I'm still no better at preventing myself from, from deceiving myself, but at least I have a fighting chance in being able to recognize some of the ways in which I'm doing it. So you're never going to stop deceiving yourself, but having someone else who really knows you and you can see it from a outside perspective is so helpful. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, making sure that person who you are aligned with speaking about the coaches who maybe are not in alignment with you, um, is mirroring back the correct thing, right? Like as a, as a coach, it's my job to look at you and, and understand you and your value set that you want to live by and then mirror that back to you, not mirror what I think you should be doing or that the industry thinks you should be doing or anything like that. So you have to be very careful, I guess, with the company that you keep in regards to that, because it's very easy, you know, I lo- I'm going to have to find that book by the way. Um, cause I think that that's really interesting because we all do it. Um, yeah. but just to be very cautious and careful and say, when you are looking for a coach, is this person aligned with my value set or are they just aligned with, you know, this picture of who I may want to be that I don't even know if I'm going to like when I get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Yeah. The book is called the folly of fools. Nice. Okay. And, um, it's, it's definitely a dense read. Um, he's an evol- I think he's an evolutionary biologist and um, he gets, yeah, really deep into all of the ways that we deceive nice. ourselves. And it's, it's fascinating. He spends a lot of time talking about sort of predator prey models um, with different animals and, and things that birds do. It's, it's really fascinating stuff, but it's definitely a, uh, a dense book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes some of the things are especially with the, with social media, the way social media is, I think we all need that dense read um, to understand ourselves a little better. Yeah. 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 It's, um, yeah, the, the, the content world, I spent a lot of time thinking about this lately, but the content world is really a, a product of our own making Mm -hmm. as, as entrepreneurs and, and I think it really starts with our background and our education in the school system is really designed to teach you how to follow a process and to get that validation, get that approval, and then do the next step. And and you're always following a checklist. You're always, you know, exactly where you are, you know, exactly what the next step is, and you're getting immediate feedback on everything that you do. And that's so different from what entrepreneurship is. You know, I, I, I learned all of this the hard way because I was really good at school and I had to train myself in order to be able to think outside the box or to think uh, independently or to do things without getting yes. approval first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the um, that mindset really lends itself to going on social media and downloading all the tips and tricks and lead magnets and signing up for programs and getting coaches to tell you that what you're doing is right. And 
when I went, when I went through this myself, I thought that it was the fault of the coaches. You know, I thought that it was just sleazy uh, people trying to make money and there is some of that, but I think really it comes down to our upbringing and our, our nature to try to seek out all of these tactics and all of these things. And this is why I say that I'm reimagining content creation because it starts with changing your perspective on how you consume content. Yes. There's a tendency to want to consume these tips and tricks. And as a result, the, then the other content creators, the other coaches and, and course creators are publishing just empty, soulless content. They're using templates to get these tips out and, and, uh, Mad Libs type content where you just fill in your, your customer's pain points. Mm -hmm. And when I look at social media, or when I look at articles that are being published and shared around and viral content and all of these things, it just feels so empty. There's no real soul behind it. There's no belief. There's no passion in it. It, It's what we feel like we have to do in order to make money or in order to get customers. And it's because everyone believes the lie that the tips and the tricks are what's going to get you to make you successful. There's this quote I really love from Derek Sivers. He says, if information was the key, we'd all be billionaires with six pack apps. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I really love that because it's, it's such a true statement, but it's also very, you know, delivering, if you're going to deliver something like that, you have to deliver it in a little bit of humor. Yes, you do. (laughs) And, um, you know, so it's the information is out there. You can Google search how to do anything. You'll, you'll find, you know, billions of results, most of which is completely empty content, but the tips are there. So why, why are we not all perfectly happy, perfectly successful running these massive businesses and achieving everything that we want in life, right? If we were robots, maybe that would be the case. Maybe we could follow the, the information. Exactly. We could just wake up every morning, write a piece of content and never struggle with any writer's block or never struggle with that internal conflict, but we're not robots, right? We're, we're human beings and we have the greatest enemy that we're ever going to face. The greatest competition is against ourselves. Yes. Yeah. And that internal struggle that you fight, it can't be solved with information. It can't be solved with tips and tricks. So you have to, you have to be willing to break out of that mode of just publishing tips and tricks and realize that if you're actually going to help your audience, your followers to solve their problems, you have to motivate and inspire them to go out and take action, to stop scrolling on social media, to stop just saving all of the posts and all the tips and tricks that they're never going to use. And you've got to get in their head and really inspire them to shut down their phone, go do what you're telling them to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you've described is exactly what differentiates the people who are successful from the not successful, meaning, you know, well-established big businesses, all of those things is because the action is the difference. And you're exactly right. We become, we become almost like these information consumers to a fault. And then we put ourselves in our own little echo chambers where we, where we need to be consuming the tips and tricks to fill, to fill the void or to hear or feel like we're doing the right thing in business. 
or wherever it may be. But if you're no, if you're never taking action, then you're never, you're never going anywhere. Right. Yikes. I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's easy to think that you're making progress yes. by yeah. learning and you do have to learn to some extent, but you also have to get out there and take action. The best, the best way to actually learn things is to try and fail and yes. then take the next step with your knowledge and you're learning at the speed. This is a, I think a Tim Ferriss line. He says, learn at the speed of implementation rather yes. than, or it's just in time learning rather than just in case learning. Yes. It's easy yeah. to get caught up in, oh, you know, five years from now when my company is massive, I'm going to need to know all these management things. And so I should start reading uh, the hard thing about hard things, or I should get into, yeah. and, and it's so easy to get off track. Yeah. Focus yeah. on learning what you need to know to take the next step and then take the next step. And then you can reflect what's the step after that and just go one step at a time, right? The, it's like a, I think a Chinese proverb that the, uh, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the single step. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think to your point, if you're, if you're looking, it's one thing, if you're a CEO of a company and you, you have to be looking, you know, what is it called? Like the headlight vision, right? Like how far out your headlights go, you know, it's one thing if you have to be kind of at that level, you know, that's a different kind of looking out into the future and learning and kind of being ahead of a, ahead of the curve. But if you are the only person in your business and you are not taking those steps forward, you know, you're, you're going to screw yourself. You know, you're not the CEO yet. You're not there yeah. yet. So why not master where you are? So then you can move forward in it. I just, I love everything that you're saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I think there's a important note there with the CEOs is that really their job is to be forward-looking. Exactly. And there's other people, um, chief financial officer, technology officer, managers, employees, you know, everyone under them is focused on the internal. Yeah. What they found is that when a CEO resigns or is, um, you know, they need to move on for whatever reason, a lot of times they'll promote the CFO to that CEO role. And they found that that doesn't work, doesn't work because they're two completely different things. The CEO is outward facing, looking into the future and setting that path. And the, the CFO or the CTO is looking inward at all of the interworkings of the business. And so those are two, you know, those are two very different tasks. And as a, as a solo entrepreneur or a, a creator or coach, you have to be able to do a little bit of both. So it's, you know, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing. Yeah. Yeah. And know when to put which hat on, I think to your yeah, point, that's right. A, that's a good point. You know, sure. know when that you're, you're staying a little bit too much in that forward forward thinking versus acting, you know, so it's a very, I agree with you. It's not, it's not a, it's not an easy task by any means that we're saying, but it is one that you should be aware of at least. And if you're aware of it, then you are aware when you're doing it. <laughs> I think you can be more aware of that, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love this conversation and thank you so much, but I need you to tell people where they can find you so that they can come and work with you. The best place to find me is at andrewbrider.com. And uh, you can sign up for my email list there, check out the blog or, or any of the things that I do. That's the best way to connect with me. And uh, if you want to learn how to create better content, I am publishing every day uh, tips and tricks, stories, inspiration, and everything that I can 
to help my audience create better content. But like we talked about here today, it's not just about the nitty gritty of creating content, but it's taking a step back and becoming that type of person who can really step up and lead and inspire your audience. Yeah. Become the, become a good human before you become a good content creator. That's right. Really. Really the moral of the story <laughs> you, here, folks. You do the former, it'll make the latter much easier. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, you know what, Andrew, this has been a pleasure. So thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thanks, Michelle. I uh, had a great time. So Andrew is just, number one, he's got to be like one of the calmest people I've ever met. If you're listening to him speak, he's just, you know, he's very even keeled. He knows what he wants out of life and he understands his priorities you know, and the different things that we talked about too, you have to be careful of, especially if you're a solopreneur, you know, there as a coach, I see it all the time, these promises that are made and, and all of these things that are kind of thrown at our solopreneurs specifically, I mean, at a lot of us, but I see it a lot more in the solopreneur space about, you know, these shortcuts or these ways that if you just do what I did, you'll make exactly what I made, you know, and it's, it's very cookie cutter and it's not authentic to maybe how you want to show up or to your values or your priorities during this season of life. So, and I think, you know, people buy from people, right? We've talked about that numerous times in this podcast, you know, they, they buy because they know, like, trust you and have a connection with you. So that means that you need to show up as yourself in your content, in your face-to-face interactions, wherever it may be. So the same person who shows up, you know, on the business side is the same person who shows up on the personal and, you know, you can just be authentic and attract the people that you're meant to attract. On next week's episode, I am going to be joined by L. Carol Scott, or shall I say Dr. L. Carol Scott, and she is a trauma-informed developmental psychologist who is going to talk about how your success now is actually determined by how your life unfolded during your first 2,500 days. That's from birth to age seven. And she's got an amazing story that she's going to walk us through too, so you don't want to miss it. And if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, follow, rate, and review. And you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.